Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason... I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you from the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Fiona, uh, for reading that so well. Good evening, everyone. It's lovely to see you tonight. Um, My name is Felix. If I haven't met you before, I'm on the clergy team at the church. And it'd be a great help if you could keep that passage open in front of you. But before we look at it in more detail, let me lead us in a prayer. We've sung tonight, asking God that our worship would be pleasing to him. So I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts would be pleasing to you, God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Now, in the summer of 2022, uh, Team GB was on the verge of topping the medals table at the European Athletics Championships. And it all came down to one last event, the four by 100 meter relay race for the women's team. And this was a brilliant team. They were brilliant. They they went into this race, in fact, as favorites. And um, our first runner was Asha Phillips. And she uh, got into position. The starting gun went bang. And she was off. And she sprinted down to the first transfer. And she handed over the baton to the next runner, Imani Lara. And Imani Lara held out her hand to uh, take the baton off um, Asha Phillips. And she couldn't quite grab it. And in the mess of the transfer, the baton fell to the floor. Not only did Team GB lose the race, they didn't even finish it all because of a failed transfer. Now, as Jago said, we're starting a new series in a letter of the Bible called To Timothy. And at the heart of this letter is the idea of a transfer, the handing over of the Christian message. In the first verse of our passage, Paul describes this Christian message as the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Jesus, God's own son, calls all of us to follow him. And by following him, we can have life in his name. Life to the full now in this world, but also life beyond the grave. And as you read through the gospel accounts in the Bible, you see there that Jesus is the real deal. He really is. He beat death by rising from the dead so that we can too. Now, I don't know where you are when it comes to this promise of life in Jesus Christ. I suspect there'll be all sorts of different stories in this room. 
perhaps you're here today and you're just kind of looking in on the Christian faith. Maybe you're not quite sure what to make of it. Perhaps you came to HDC last Sunday to the coronation party and you heard about this promise of life in Jesus being held out to you. And so like that baton in the race, you're perhaps just trying to work out whether to take hold of it, to receive this promise of life for yourself. Or perhaps you're here today because you have received this promise of life. There has been a transfer, but you're only just holding on to this baton. It's at risk of falling to the floor. Or perhaps you're like the recipient of this letter, Timothy. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. In verse five, we get a snapshot into Timothy's story. He has faith, trust in this promise of life because his granny, Lois, transferred it, handed it over to his mum, Eunice, who then handed it over to Timothy himself. And that's why at HDC, we are committed to supporting our families at this church in family discipleship so that our children at this church might have stories like that of Timothy. But whatever your own story is here tonight, This letter will show us how important it is to receive this promise of life with Jesus and to run with it, even when it feels hard, even when it feels messy. Because that's exactly what it was like at the time of when this letter was written. It'd been about 30 years since Jesus had died, risen from the dead, and then ascended to heaven. And history tells us these 30 years had been extraordinary, extraordinary Thousands of people had become Christians, huge crowds. Now, last Sunday, uh, we had over 800 here for the service at the coronation party. Now, that felt like quite a crowd, especially for those helping in the kids' groups. And I know some of you were here, uh, here for that. But back in the book of Acts, in the Bible, we read of crowds of literally thousands becoming Christians, you know, taking hold of this promise of life in Jesus Christ. And that included crowds in a city called Ephesus. And it's to the church in Ephesus that this letter is written. You can see in verse two, it's addressed to Timothy. But we know, as was custom with Paul's letters, it was intended to be read to the whole church, which is why at the end of the letter, Paul uses the plural form of you. It's for everyone in the church. And at the time of when this letter was written, things aren't looking good. They're not looking good. Christianity had actually started to contract at this point, not spread. And, you know, uh, people were persecuting Christians. Even teachers in the church had started kind of tweaking and changing the message to make it more attractive to the culture around them. And for the teachers who had remained faithful to the message of life in Jesus, well, they had started to suffer for it. Which is why Paul, who we're told in verse one, wrote this letter, he's in prison as he writes it. He's in a Roman prison. In fact, he tells us later in this letter, he's about to be killed. He'll say later in the letter, I've run the race. So in the pits of a dark, cold, stinky Roman hellhole, Paul writes these last words. This letter and the church is on the rocks. And so Paul, who we're told in verse one, writing with the authority given to him from God himself, is handing over the baton to his good mate, Timothy. In that GB Athletics running race 
that team, the women's team, they were good mates. They knew, they knew each other well. They'd been training with each other for months, years even. But this was even more true for Paul and Timothy. You can see how close their relationship was even in these first few verses. Paul describes Timothy as a dear son. But now during a messy, difficult time, Timothy needed to step up, to take hold of the baton and to keep running. And maybe you're here today, tonight, and as you hear those words, you are all too aware, personally, of your own struggle in holding on to the baton. Jesus' promises of life. Maybe like Timothy, you too feel the pinch between what Jesus says on the one hand and what culture is saying on the other. You know, maybe there are things going on in your life that mean the baton in your hand feels like it's about to fall. And there might be all sorts of reasons for why that's the case. For the church in Ephesus, it was this opposition. And maybe you too are feeling the heat as you go into your workplace each day. I'll always remember that feeling going into the office on Monday morning. And people would ask me, um, you know, what did you get up to at the weekend? And I'd have that decision point where I'm thinking, am I going to tell them that I went to church on Sunday? Because I know that if I do, there'll be the follow-up question, you don't believe that Jesus stuff, do you? And by the way, this was before I started working at HCC. Um, (laughs) The staff team here don't ask me that. (laughs) But perhaps, perhaps there are some here today, perhaps, who are wondering whether they're even holding on to the baton at all. You know, life is just full on for you. There's so much stuff going on. You know, deals and projects at work, family issues to deal with, relationships that are constantly failing or, you know, not getting off the ground. And so you're just feeling exhausted by it all. And, you know, maybe it's just a small miracle you're here tonight. So what's the secret? What's the secret to keep going, to holding on, to receiving that transfer of the promise of life and to keep running the race? What's the secret? Well, Paul has one word, one picture, if you like. Here it is. Fire. Fire. What's the secret to keeping going? God has given each of us who've received this promise of life a gift. And this gift is like fire. Take a look at verse six. For this reason... I remind you, Timothy, to fan into flame the gift of God. Blaise Pascal, as you might know, uh, was a 17th century French mathematician, physicist, inventor, philosopher, writer, and Catholic theologian. He was like one of those really annoying people who was good at everything, it would seem. Now, when Pascal died, a small handwritten note was found sewn into the um, lining of his coat. And in the note were words he used to describe that moment in his life when he became a Christian. And do you know what the first word was he used to describe his conversion? Fire. For Pascal, when he received that promise of life, he had an experience like that of burning in his heart. Some of us might know 
that experience. Maybe you're even feeling that a bit tonight. But whether you do feel it or not, Paul says in our letter, God has given each of us that gift that burns like a fire within. So what's the gift? Take a look at verse seven. For the spirit God gave us. God gives his people his spirit. His spirit enables us to keep holding onto the baton and to keep running the race, whatever the circumstances. So Paul says to each of us, back in verse six, fan into flame the gift of God. Just a few days ago, I was with some friends. It was just, yeah, just literally just a few days ago. And um, we were building a fire, making a fire. Um, this was outside of London, outside of the smoke-free zone, just to be clear. Um, and uh, there was a moment in the evening where the temperatures dropped and we had to make a decision. Are we going to you know, get this fire back up and going? So what we did was we blew on the fire, literally fanned it into flame. So when Paul says, fan God's spirit and all that he gives you into flame, he's saying we should want to be spiritually on fire. In other words, if I can put it like this, with one kind of simple refrain for this talk, spiritually on fire is what to desire. Spiritually on fire is what to desire. So what does this actually mean in practice? Well, just as my fire needed activity, so our desire to be spiritually on fire is not passive. It leads to action. The letter, uh, this letter written to Timothy, a church leader, and then it was written, or it was intended to be read to the whole church. So it starts, but doesn't finish with the leaders in the church. Leaders in churches should be wanting to be spiritually on fire. In other words, leaders in churches should be devoted to seeing God at work in and through them. What does this look like in practice? Well, leaders should be wanting to kind of align their lives in accordance with what God wants. And as I say this, I am fully aware, and it pains me more than you can imagine to say it, that we're in a, a, a season in the wider church at the moment that some are calling a leadership crisis. Just in the last few years, we have had church leaders who have been removed because of bullying. We've had leaders, church leaders, who've been removed because of abuses of power and authority. We've had church leaders who've been removed because of inappropriate behavior, scandal, relationships. We have church leaders who are wanting to change the teaching of the church to make it more popular with the culture around us. And we have church leaders who are currently under investigation and it's not yet clear where the allegations will go. Now, all of those stories relate to real people with particular nuances and situations. And I don't wanna group them all together in a kind of overly simplistic way. But in nearly all of them, we can see evidence of leaders not fanning into flame the gift of God. The desire was not for aligning their lives with what God wants, but instead at times, a desire for individual fame, power, 
pleasure, popularity. But that's not the vision Paul gives us in this letter, is it? That's not what will keep us running the race. Spiritually on fire is what to desire. And it starts but doesn't finish with the leaders. So HDC, I ask you, will you pray for the leaders in this church? Will you pray that we would be spiritually on fire? Thank you, Alan. (laughs) We have a daily HDC prayer WhatsApp group. Every day, a simple prayer request gets sent to your phone, sometimes concerning the leadership at the church. Would you consider signing up for it and praying? Church leaders need your help more than you know. Paul says in verse three of our passage, night and day, I constantly remember you, Timothy, church leader, in my prayers. I said this call to be spiritually on fire starts with the leaders, but it doesn't finish there. This letter was to be read to the whole church. So I take it this charge is for all of us here tonight. So can I ask you today, are you desiring to be spiritually on fire? Or is there something getting in the way for you? Perhaps there's something kind of jostling for that position in your life, that kind of devotion in your life. The early uh, uh, Christian theologian, Augustine, sinned sexually again and again when he was younger. But then God gave him the gift of the Holy Spirit and Augustine became consumed with a desire to be spiritually on fire, to align his life with what God wants. And this new affection of his heart had a kind of expulsive power to his previous desires. And the story goes, as he was once walking uh, through uh, the street one day and he saw an old girlfriend walking towards him. And so he turned around and started walking in the opposite direction. And the old girlfriend cried out, Augustine, it is I. To which he replied, I know, yet it is not I. In other words, Augustine was a changed man. He had the Holy Spirit burning brightly in his heart. Now, of course, this didn't mean he went on to do everything perfectly, but his life's desire was to be different now. And in that moment for Augustine, on that street, fanning into flame, the gift of God meant walking in the other direction. And perhaps today, for you, very simply, there is something you need to walk in the opposite direction from. Because whether we're leaders or not in this church, all of us will have times in our life where we're tempted to quench that flame. For Timothy, it was the threat of opposition. Being a Christian for Timothy meant suffering. If Timothy was in the street with Augustine, the previous girlfriend kind of calling out to Timothy wouldn't have been kind of offering sex, but would have been offering comfort, positive recognition from others, whispering in the ear to Timothy, It's not worth it. Drop the baton. Stop running. And don't we all know that feeling? Whether we're just looking into the Christian faith today and so kind of, you know, eyeing up the track ahead. Or we've been a Christian for a while. 
We'll all have moments where we'll be wondering, is this even possible? Because running this Christian race, it feels difficult at times. It feels messy. Which is exactly why Paul writes verse seven. Spiritually on fire is what to desire. Verse seven, four, because the spirit God gave us doesn't make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. In other words, the Holy Spirit gives us what we need to keep going. That's why we're calling this series, Not Ashamed. We can keep going, running the race, not ashamed. R. Kent Hughes, a church leader in the States, he writes this, he says, if you sense that God is calling you to do something far beyond your natural capabilities, you can take heart from Timothy's life. Feeling weak, timid, inadequate, even though you want to serve God? Feeling like Timothy? If so, you are an inviting prospect for the Holy Spirit. And if you call upon him, he will fill you with power. So there's power for us to keep going one step at a time. There's also love. And don't we need this so much as we journey together as a church family, loving and supporting one another on Sundays, in connect groups through the week. Just on Friday, I received a text message from a friend in this church. Very simple text message. It just said, I'm praying for you. And it was such an encouragement at that moment to receive that message. It was an act of love prompted by the Holy Spirit dwelling in my friend. We all need that. And finally, self-discipline, which basically means kind of steadiness of mind and action. And the picture here is of someone who doesn't just go with the crowds, but someone who's able to persevere in life and ministry, whatever the circumstances. You know, whatever our work colleagues are doing at the pub after work, you know, whatever our housemates are saying to us as they see us head to church on a Sunday, spiritually on fire is what to desire. Because as we close, the Spirit enables us to keep going in this promise of life in Jesus Christ. As Jesus died on the cross for our sins and then rose to new victorious life after death, he won for us a life that lasts for eternity and he ensures that we have everything we need to live that life today and tomorrow and next week and the week after that and so on. So let us take hold of the promise transferred to us, maybe even for the first time today. And might each of us in God's strength be spiritually on fire because that is what we desire. Amen.